1: And welcome back to the Cover 3 podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson. uh, Hitting you here on a Wednesday where, yes, as promised, we are... Going to your mailbag questions. How do you get a question in the big old bag of mail? You go and you leave us a five-star review, and in that review, put your question. Uh, We'll add it to the bag, and we will pull out some of our favorites every Wednesday from now until the end of the regular season. And, of course, uh, we always love interacting with our fans during the offseason as well. Thanks to all of you that have already listened to our instant reaction to the college football playoff rankings release. We had a lot of people in the chat, a lot of people watching live at youtube.com slash Cover 3, that will continue the reacting to the new rankings every single week. So put that on your radar as we add yet another episode to this non-stop stream of multi-platform excellence. A couple headlines, uh, a fun activity before we dive into the big old bag of mail. I was uh, overjoyed, gentlemen, when somebody hit us up on Twitter and asked for why the sirens were not in their feed. Why was there not an emergency podcast for the news that Clay Helton is going to be taking over as Georgia Southern's next head coach? Clay Helton obviously carries uh, some cachet as a name, but also I I think that the same way that we gave Georgia Southern some love after the decision was made, identifying it as a program where they care very deeply about uh, college football. It's sort of a unique community around that program and that university. Now, Clay Helton. Uh, comes all the way from fired at USC to taking over at Georgia Southern. Uh, I felt like we uh, – Georgia Southern, they deserve it. Uh, I wanted to hear what we were thinking about Clay Helton and uh, taking over. The timetable is a little bit interesting. We can get into that. I don't know if that stands out to you. But uh, what do we think about Helton to Georgia Southern?
2: You guys were right. Like you guys have always said, Ah, Clay Helton can't coach. I think if you're a USC fan who wanted him out, you're like, see – Cause I do think it's a reflection of the market for clay health. I was more surprised by anything that he didn't wait a little bit longer to see where some of these dominoes fall because there's like, there's going to be some good openings where I think would be, and this is not an insult to Georgia Southern, but teams that are perceived as better as Georgia Southern. Um, you know, if Sonny Dykes leaves SMU, that opens. If, if Luke Fickle leaves Cincinnati, that's open. Like, there are going to be some openings of some premier group of five teams that I was a little bit surprised that Clay Helton didn't wait around for. But maybe this is a realistic assessment of what he actually is as a coach. I mean, if you're Georgia Southern, are,
3: are, are you making this just because he's, he's a name that people will know? His track record at USC was terrible. Uh that if you read the, the, the Feldman takedown of, of that program, I mean, total lack of physicality. Like certain guys on the staff were allowed not to recruit. Uh, our USC site has had a lot of the same things, and I like Clay Held as a person a ton. I've interviewed him one on one. He is like one of the most just. I'd love to have a beer with him. Very just regular dudes. He's not one of these like coaching weirdos. You know, he doesn't just coach speak to you the entire mm-hmm. time and just nothing but cliches. But the results are poor, man, and. I don't know. I I think Georgia Southern could have done better, but I'm also smart enough to realize that all these coaching grades we do are total crapshoots, right? We don't actually know what's going to work. He has head coaching experience, which I'm guessing the AD there values. I don't think he'll run the triple, uh, and he's been in the big program, albeit one that has resources compared to Georgia Southern, which does not. It's, It's a big shoulder shrug for me. Okay, do what you want.
0: Yeah, I kind of have a similar reaction where it's like when I when I saw the news break yesterday I was just kind of like all right? That's a surprise. I have no idea if that's going to work or not. I do think there's definitely kind of an aspect of well we recognize that name and he's the USC coach. So we could that shouldn't be too difficult to sell. Look at us, we're selling the former USC coach. But like my problem with Clay Helton at USC was not it's we've talked about like you mentioned just now about the physicality and the way that they played but like clay helton to me has been always struck me as a program builder a culture builder the guy who's going to you know get our kind of guys and it was just Mm -hmm. like to me that seemed like a wasted place to have him at usc which is a school where you could just go get talent and win national titles you don't need to be bringing in our kind of guys so I thought that a good landing spot for Helton would be a smaller school, maybe, you know, G5, P5, whatever, but somebody that has to rely on development and recruiting and just, you know, getting old and staying old. But I don't know if Georgia Southern is really that kind of program because we've seen, like, there hasn't been a whole lot of patience with their coaches there lately. You know what I mean? Like they, they have big, they have high expectations. They want to be winning the Sun Belt. They want to be competing for Sun Belt titles. They want to be competing for maybe that new year's six birth as the Sun Belt expands and is probably going to be coming more powerful in the group of five landscape in these coming years. And I don't know if Clay Helton is that guy. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't, but I do agree. I don't, I, I don't see him running the triple, which is something that I feel like has been important in that, community and in that fan base for a while just with the identity of the program so to me it just doesn't make it doesn't really feel like a fit
1: i disagree i this was a huge reminder that clay helton's not a west coast guy like no he played he played at auburn he played at houston he spent a decade at memphis born in gainesville like Memphis teams that went to, in the 10 years or so that he was an assistant there I think they went to four or five bowl games I I woke up to that you know it took me like oh wait a second like USC was really the you know take him out of his comfort zone in terms of the the larger aspect of his you know, growing up, playing career and coaching career elsewhere. And now I think that he's returning home. I I think about his brother who is having success at Western Kentucky and that for him, if he was probably telling his agent, like I – I would like to get um, a, a job maybe back in the South. I would like to get a job that's a, a little bit closer to where the rest of my coaching career had been. And so I, I had to like wake myself and be like, oh, wow, maybe this is a great opportunity for him to be a little bit more comfortable, to tap into whatever kind of connections he still might have there and restart things. Now on the triple, it has been reported that Clay Helton was not the number one choice. That the number one choice was to float it out there to former Georgia Southern head coach, currently retired, killing it on the golf course, Paul Johnson. In which case, I imagine that is going all in on the triple to bring in Paul Johnson, because why would you hire Paul Johnson if you're not going to do the triple option? But Clay Helton, uh, he could still run the triple depending on the hire of his staff. I like for Clay Helton's potential success – that he gets to hang around the program, work on building his staff, work on getting to know some of the players, and you know, for all of like the the nice guy reasons, you come around and be like, hey, you know what? Like maybe this is going to be uh, a little bit of a better environment for Helton to be able to have some success and be able to have uh so, sort of get things going in a different direction for his head coaching career. You know,
3: um, Jimmy Sexton's amazing, by the way. Also, USC. Is he Jimmy is re- Sexton guy. I believe so. That's what I saw on Twitter. Could be wrong. Uh, USC did recruit Georgia and the Southeast fairly well uh, for, for all the criticism that Helton got for letting guys leave uh, the West Coast, which was deserved. If you have the USC job, you need to lock that down and basically you have right of first refusal on, on all those kids west of the Rockies, or you should if you if you don't screw it up. And he did uh, screw it up. They did a pretty good job recruiting like Florida and you know, Georgia and, and some places like that. So he He's not going to be a new name to these high school coaches in that region.
1: That's good. Well, all right, So uh, Clay Helton, Georgia Southern. Does he have? Is that someone that you could pick? The Eagles competing for? I'm just saying competing for a spot in the Sun Belt Championship game. So like compete in contention for a division title. Let's say into November uh, in in three years. Do you see it?
3: Sure. I mean if, if Napier leaves Louisiana, there's no reason that they're gonna stay great. App is the more established, but like App was an FCS power. So is Georgia Southern. I think Georgia Southern could do something similar. Coastal is is certainly on the come up. Georgia State is is still theoretical. Everybody always talks about how good they can be. You know, Troy hasn't been dominant in soup like a long time. Who am I missing here? Like ULM is not going to not going to bounce back quickly. Is
1: Coastal going to be able to continue to be successful after Jamie Chadwell? Sure. Because and after
3: after Grayson McCall too, sure, yeah, yeah, um, sure. They could in three years they could they could be there probably. Yeah. It
0: also it'll also depend on what they do with their offense. Like if they're going to keep running, if they're going to transition off the triple into more of what they were running at USC, or just more you know a a, a quote unquote normal offense. The personnel on Georgia Southern right now is not built for that, so it's going to take some time. Although with the transfer portal, who knows?
1: There you go, Georgia Southern. We gave you a nice little chunk when the job was open, and uh, and now we've got Clay Helton arriving. Best of luck to uh, to Helton in that program. And I, the the Sun Belt in this huge conference realignment has decided we don't care about airports. We want communities and. That that has made me, just as a college football fan, a little bit more partial and interested in uh, the Sun Belt moving forward. All right, Tom, you pitched hot or not. Mm -hmm. We'll let you introduce the segment to the the audience out here. But I I love where we're at, and uh, I'm excited to see where this goes.
0: Okay, so for those of you who have been on the Internet since the very early days – you might remember a website way back in the dark ages of the internet called hot or not if you don't here's the premise it was basically a rating site in which brave souls would post photos of themselves online and this is back in the early 2000s so just to put one photo online you needed to take a week off of work to upload <laughs> that thing to your computer but they would you'd post a photo of yourself and put it out there on the internet anonymously and then everybody else would come to that site and they would rate whether you were hot or not so therefore you really just got like a very good Indication of whether you were attractive to the rest of the human population or not, and it could be sobering, yes. it could be uplifting, depending on what the people thought. But so I'm I'm bringing it back. By the way, I think I think the people who started that company are now the people behind Bumble, but I'm not 100 sure. Anyway, say this sounds like Tinder, but not for dating. Yeah, it was it, It's exactly what it was. It, it was the same thing, except you know, you couldn't just swipe F- right F- and say, F- "Let's F- go." Right yeah. I'll meet so, you there. Tom, at
2: Three a.m. Tom. Were you hot or not? Yeah. Seven, seven point two.
1: <laughs> hey,
2: solid. It won't. Uh, it won't
3: surprise you, but I did find a uh, a loophole in Tinder for my brother-in-law. Like, I wasn't on Tinder because I'm married, but mm. my brother-in-law is single, and I was like, yeah. I was like, Jordan, here's the deal you get a like back when you had unlimited swipes like bro just swipe the hell out of this thing and then figure out who matches with you and then sort it out later like like say yes to everybody and then like you only care if they say yes back why are you wasting your time deciding deciding to swipe or not like like this is an inefficient process you're trying to figure out whether to swipe or not they may not swipe back on you so swipe yes on everybody and then just go through your matches that's a much more time efficient process like a good
1: call Yeah, Bud's got arbitrage for the dating sites, multiple mm-hmm. screens. Let's
3: see where. Well, we we goes. were trying to go play golf, and he's wasting his time. Like, like, I'm like, dude, give me this.
0: Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, he's, he's, he does, he can't judge him without getting another personality first. Um, so, anyways, hot or not, this it, uh, edition is basically I am going to propose a take. I'm not saying I agree with the take. I'm not saying I disagree with the take. I'm just proposing the take, and then you guys are going to debate whether it's a hot take or not. Hot or not? So, the first one, this is based off of some stuff that I've seen about. We talked, touched on a little bit before the show. Dan Mullen. I have seen Florida fans on message boards and on Twitter in my mentions talking about how Florida needs to fire Dan Mullen and get Lane Kiffen. Hot or not? Lane Kiffen is not an upgrade on Dan Mullen. I think that's a hot take for the Florida job
3: but I also do not think that Florida would hire Lane Kiffin.
1: Hot. That's a hot take. Lane Kiffin has an upgrade over Dan Mullen. If things were going as poorly for Florida with Lane Kiffin in there, the comments would be funnier to us, but they would not be funnier to Florida fans as he was explaining the struggles.
2: Danny? I think it's closer to lukewarm, but I'll still say it's hot. Man, it'd be great if it happened. Oh my gosh, it'd be so much fun. Oh man. But I, I think it's hot. I think it's too hot.
0: I will point out that as a power five coach, Lane Kiffin is 46 and 28 in his conference. In the SEC, he's 11 and 11 so far, including his time at USC. He is 28 and 23 in conference play. What has Lane Kiffin really accomplished compared to Dan Mullen?
1: Yeah, I don't think yeah, it's a hot take. I don't think Lane Lane Kiffin is an upgrade over Dan Mullen. They both bring the similar offensive leaning. We look at you as a game planner and as a play caller. Um, I now, guess he's they, a much better recruiter. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wait, no, I, I want to change
3: my answer there. I, I thought Tom was saying he's not an upgrade, and I said that was hot. I think he is an upgrade. No, no, I'm
0: just – I said he's not an upgrade. Yeah, that's the take. Lane Kiffin is not an upgrade. So if you disagree, it's a hot take. If you agree, it's not. But no, I just just don't think it's – I think the biggest difference, I think if you're a Florida fan right now, if you're getting Lane Kiffin, it's just for the recruiting. Because I think offensively they're both very good. But I also think that both coaches throughout their career – I mean, as offensive coordinators, did Lane, do we count the Alabama's national title? Lane was the offensive coordinator, right? Even if he wasn't coaching. Um, But they they both won national titles as offensive coordinators. But as head coaches, they've
2: seemed to hit a ceiling. Can can we just say something real quick about Dan Mullen, what he should say about Mm -hmm. all this recruiting stuff? He should say, just let us buy players like Georgia does. Like, and I know they can't go against each other, but in the new era of NIL, why aren't you going to people and saying, hey, we need to pay more? We need to do whatever it takes. I mean, Georgia was one of the first people that had several players that had already signed up deals that had not put on a uniform yet. Like, let's, and Quinn Ewers goes to Ohio State. It's about recruiting. If I'm Dan Mullen, I'm saying, Let's go. Like, you want me to recruit? Give me the resources to do it. Let's figure out a way. And I guarantee you, Florida Boosters fans, they would do it, whatever he asked for. They need to create that so you can go toe-to-toe with George in recruiting. All right, okay. so if the money's equal, then the personalities begin
3: to matter again.
1: In which case, you'd rather have Lane than mm-hmm. Dan
3: Hullen.
0: Yeah, because one's not a weirdo.
2: <laughs> you should, i don't know lane, lane is weird okay. lane, lane's He's weird lane's,
0: lane's kind of just like a your goofy little brother weird whereas yeah yeah
1: by the way lane kiffin the headset toss my favorite note from that is that he got on the actual headset and told jeff levy uh i might have just uh made a big joke of myself we better score some points and then they laid a goose egg in the first half yeah all right. I just like his, like, oh, no, what did I just do? Moment of self-reflection.
0: <laughs> so, so the temperature there leans towards hot from all three of you. Got it. Uh, here's one. The next take. Cincinnati is a better coaching job in the American Athletic Conference than it will be in the Big 12.
1: Disagree. Uh, that, is, that is a hot take. That is definitely a hot take. The Big 12 opens up pipelines, and I think that – the while Cincinnati there's nothing stopping Cincinnati from going south, I think that that is so much better than having to go and fight with big ten schools for some of those like Pennsylvania and Eastern seaboard schools so for recruiting purposes, I think that the big twelve um, I think the big twelve is a better job I think that's a hot take
3: um question here are we talking about then it will be
0: in like the new American or the American as it stands right now. Uh just right stay if it stayed in the American, it would be a better job than it would be in the Big Twelve.
3: Yeah, I think that's hot because of who just left the American. But I, I think there are certainly challenges. Like you're going to play a tougher schedule in the new Big 12 than you did in the AAC. You're gonna have like you, you're not gonna get, you know, East Carolina and Tulane and and, and teams like that. Not I think consistently. You get Kansas. That's that's which is
2: worse. I think it would depend, too, on the playoff scenario, what it looks like. If we go expansion and you get a little bit easier access, you're staying at a weaker spot, then I think it would matter. But as it stands now, no. I mostly
0: agree with you guys, although I do think that Cincinnati joining the Big 12 will cause Luke Fickle to leave. I think it's just going to hasten the process of Luke Fickle leaving for a Big Ten job. Because it'll be harder to win 10 games every year and your your, your star won't be right? Yeah, because his recruiting and everything he knows is in the Midwest. So now all of a sudden, if he's got to go be getting in Texas and in that, you know, Florida, it just, it's not that he can't, it's just his his bread and butter is, you know, Ohio. And I just think that he'd be more interested in coaching a Big Ten school at that point than coaching Cincinnati in the Big 12. But again, that's all speculation on my part. There's no information there behind
1: it. When, before you move on, when I set my ceiling for Cincinnati, I remember that in the Big East, they were winning against teams that are now ACC teams. So that, like, the yeah. idea being that if you can go 12-0, and if you can go 11-1 and win conference championships against you know, Pittsburgh, Syracuse, and West Virginia, or Big 12 teams too, then you, you should be able to still do it also in the Big 12, which quality-wise makes up a lot of uh, teams that are on that same level as the old Big East. Um, yeah, but like, ask West Virginia about
3: that, right? And mm-hmm. and how well they've done in the Big Twelve. You know, mm-hmm. a- ask ask records about about how how bringing Graciano back has worked. Like, they're super happy about it. But like, Chiano's best work there was when the Big Ten was or Big East was super super weak. When they joined hey, the P five league, they, got, they they're not competitive in any way.
0: They did just beat Illinois. That's a pretty big win, but that's fair. <laughs> Got the P5 right. right, This one's kind of along the same line of thinking, but UCF does more for the Big Twelve by joining it than the Big Twelve will do for UCF.
2: I, don't I think, think that's, that's
0: hot. Too hot. You do?
2: Yeah,
3: for
0: this reason, because if you didn't join, you're going to be stuck in the in the AAC. But you could be dominating the AAC as the power. you could uh, no, I no, I don't want to influence the results. Danny, you say it's not?
2: No, because I think UCF does a ton. Now, but the package deal, the fact you're getting four, does kind of dilute it somewhat, but I think UCF's in a pretty good spot. Their brand is pretty recognizable. They've already claimed the 2017 national championship. Like I don't think they needed the big 12 as much as the big 12 needed UCF.
1: So that would be not a hot take. Yeah, I agree right. with that. Not I don't th- I think that's not a hot take.
0: Yeah, I lean more towards the not myself. I just think that UCF if it stayed in the American and I think this is honestly, I mean, I've brought this up in the past on the show too. Mm-hmm. I think that saving the Big 12, I I I feel like you're going to the name which the brand obviously, which is huge these days. But if UCF Cincinnati and Houston had stayed in the American, and the American was able to expand and grab another couple teams, I don't think it'd be crazy to think that the American would be a better conference in the Big 12 not too, in the not-too-distant future after Oklahoma and Texas leave the Big 12. So I think both of them, like UCF, Cincinnati, Houston, I think all of them joining the Big 12 probably does more for the Big 12 than it does for those programs right now. Um, finally, this one, uh, some people will be bothered by this some because this, this is jobs and life, but... uh just let Conference USA die.
1: Not a hot take. Not hot. At least there is a life cycle here. We have examples of conferences that have dissolved and then they can be brought back and their members can land in different places. I and mean, we're down to four schools, right? Three. Yeah. I'm, I, I think that that is, a, that is what we're expecting to see here. Just like the Big East and the WAC and the Southwest Conference and the Metro Conference. It is very sad for all of our
2: memories of when the league uh, intrigued us. But Hold on. I'm going to say that's hot because I like working. I like traveling to Fridays to New York City and having a nice job up there where I get to break down a lot of Conference USA games for CBS Sports Network. So I'm going to say fight to the finish. Let's keep it alive. But here's here's my... Here's my argument for it. And it's
0: again, I, I understand it's a conference, it's jobs, it's all that stuff. And there's right now, assuming Western Kentucky and Middle Tennessee leave for the MAC, which seems to be the way things are going, there are three schools left that need a home. And I'm not sure there is a home for them. And they're in a really crappy situation, understanding all of that. But Conference USA was created in 1995. So it's not like it's a, you know, a long held conference that's existed for a long time with a lot of history. It's been around for 25 years and it was created after the SWC and all that stuff kind of disbanded and the big 12 was formed. And there were a lot of schools that needed a place to go. So they got together and they formed a conference, but here are the teams that were initially in conference USA when it opened in 95 and 96, because Houston joined a year later when football began Cincinnati, American going to the big 12, DePaul, doesn't even play football is in the big East Louisville ACC Marquette no football big East St. Louis no football Atlantic 10 South Florida American Charlotte Conference USA but leaving for the Sun Belt Southern Miss Or Sorry, Charlotte's leaving for the AAC. Southern Miss is leaving for the Sun Belt. UAB is leaving for the AAC. Memphis is in the AAC. Tulane is in the AAC. Houston is in the AAC and joining the Big 12. None of the original schools in that conference remain in that conference. So what are we fighting to save?
1: The staff at the Dallas office. Danny going on Fridays up to New York. Danny, Danny,
0: you can go, you can go up to New York on Friday and do MAC games too. You could do that's Mountain true. West games. You could do American true. Athletic Conference games. We it's can like, do UConn
2: games with the best of them. Exactly.
0: So it's like,
1: I mean, that's I, you're right. Do, do we really say, need to be bringing up more no.
0: FCS programs just to keep Conference USA alive and further no. diluting the FBS pool?
2: No, Conference USA is probably going to go away.
0: I I would like more teams in
3: the FBS though for betting purposes. Right. <laughs> FBS lines open up earlier, better data on them. Uh, um, let's let's have 300 FBS teams. That's fine. <laughs> More scholarships, everybody.
1: I'll tell you what, I'm going to introduce you into my world uh, as soon as the season ends. And I want you to see three hundred and fifty one of them college basketball teams <laughs> trying to keep up with all that. And it's uh. Woo! No, I, I enjoy our, our nice, tight little uh, 130 or so. It, it makes it a lot easier to wrap my head around it. Coming up on the other side, we get into the big old bag of mail, including, uh, with the college football playoff rankings release, the, the ever-changing, uh, ever ever-ongoing debate of best versus most deserving. Uh, if a group of five player were to win the Heisman this season, who would be our pick here at the midseason? And more next
4: And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places.
1: All right, time to get into the big old bag of mail. A reminder, if you want to jump in on a future mailbag question, uh, go and leave us a five-star review. And in that review, go ahead and put your question. All right. Uh, This question is from Otisant. Uh, great pod. I'm always here for Chips Energy and Tom's Unders. Never change. Mailbag question. All of you talk frequently about where you rank certain teams and will regularly discuss ranking disparities between the polls. Could you all explain whether you think these rankings ought to be resume based, for example, a ranking of which teams have the best performance to date or projection based, for example, a ranking of which teams you expect to have the best performance from here on out? I often see the debate around postseason participation find framed as finding the four best versus finding the four most deserving. And I think that much of the controversy around rankings comes down to disagreements between fans over what these polls actually represent. It would be great to hear you all talk about your preferences, how you personally go about ranking when asked to do so. Thanks for all your hard work. Keep it up. Go ducks.
0: Depends what I'm trying to accomplish
1: answer
0: it's like if a power rating or a predictive rating I don't think can be the rankings that you use during a regular college football season or else there truly is no point to playing the season because if your power ratings are accurate yeah you're changing them as the season goes along but they're not changing that much like you might knock a team down a spot or two but I would tell you right now, in most Vegas power ratings, Penn State's still a top 15 team. Is Penn State deserved to be ranked in the top 15 right now? No. So I think that if the results of games are going to matter, your ranking cannot strictly be based predictive. I think it needs, ideally you need to find a blend, but that's again, so it depends, like there are power ratings for gambling purposes i have my separate rate ratings that i do which are just completely reactive which i use for our cbs sports 130 ballot in my bottom 25 and then there are the rankings i submit for the super 16 poll which are really just my opinion of which team i think is better slash most deserving slash whatever hell i feel like using at the time
3: yeah i i think this is a really interesting question because like tom just did there are a lot of ways you can take this right Resume rankings, if you want to use them to project forward, are probably going to get you killed, right? They're not that accurate. I never fully remove priors from prior seasons. Like I Mm -hmm. still, in week 15, will bake in Alabama's previous five-year history because it makes rankings more accurate. That's proven. It's still more predictive than not. Uh, But I do think for the health of the sport, some of the things that happened last night, and I I can't be on the Tuesday night show, but some of the things that happened last night I don't think are great if we're going to have, let's use the committee for instance. If the committee is going to pick the four best teams, clearly like the pick of Alabama matches up with what they've done in the past. Like Bama has a lot of really dominant wins over teams that the committee feels is top 25, like Ole Miss Mississippi state, et cetera. And it has a close loss to another team that the committee feels is top 25 and Miami beating, uh, you know, Pitt over the weekend probably didn't hurt either. However, I don't know that always picking the four best teams is actually the best thing for this sport. I think if we're going to crown a champion of a given year, we need to basically crown the most deserving champion of that year. And I think we do need to punish losses somewhat, and we, we can certainly reward good wins. Um, but if we're always picking the very best teams, more often than not, it's going to be those teams that were very dominant in most of their games and had one slip up. Like a lot of those teams that Danny played on at Florida state would be where Bama is right now. You know, they were clearly better than some of those teams that had a zero in the loss column. So if we want to be more accurate, you go power ratings. Although I will argue, I think that the treatment they gave Cincinnati last night is not consistent with the treatment they gave Alabama. Like that's the one problem I have. Like, okay, you guys want to go power ratings this early and you want to go, you know best wins and kind of ignore the losses all right i don't know if cincinnati 6 there makes a ton of sense but i think if we want to keep the sport more interesting we either need to go a little bit more uh you know resume as opposed to power rating for the committee or expand it or contract it but i think the combination of four and power ratings is giving too much leeway for teams to drop games and still go win it all and just be the best team by the end of the season while not I think our cover three fans realize like most of these teams, you know, Baylor gets hot and goes 12 and they're not actually going to win the national title, but fans want to be lied to a little bit. Everybody wants to lie to themselves to believe their team has a shot to make it. And I think we need to keep that dream alive at least until you get to the dance and then let Cinderella uh, get her slipper smashed or however that, gosh, I probably should watch that movie. I'm going to use that reference, but um, you, you guys see what I'm saying? Like we need to keep the dream alive and the current, combination that that bothers me is the combination of picking the quote-unquote four best teams as opposed to the four most deserving and i think if if you went with the 12 best teams you would scoop up a lot of the most deserving or even the eight would scoop up a lot of the quote most deserving uh the combination of a four plus power rating which is kind of what they're doing uh man i know they basically use like game control top 25 wins uh you know, I mean, the they've got
1: FPI on that sheet. That's a power rating.
3: Yeah, that, that's true. But an, an FPI certainly informs the strength of, of record metric, which closely tracks what, what, what they do. Not perfectly. Um, I just don't like the combo of four
2: plus power ratings. I think it's kind of a dream killer. I hate it all. It's all confusing. It's all like the, the question is a great question. But if you ask analysts around the country, who chime in on this on major networks, they all have different answers of what they should value. And then, you know what else they'll throw in there as well? The eye test, you know? And you have some of these more ambiguous reasons for putting teams there. I default to a fault to resume. I think winning matters. So I give undefeated teams a lot of credit for doing that, even if their schedule hasn't been that great. Because you know what? It usually comes out in the wash at the end. Like I don't think Wake Forest is going to run the table, so they'll lose. And guess what? I'll be wrong, but I don't care if I'm wrong because I think you should have Wake Forest higher than most because they've run the table. And I get that it's not a it's a strong schedule, but they've won. And when the committee sits last night, and Gary Bardis says about Cincinnati, and he points out you know their wins against two and six teams and one and five teams, and how they didn't dominate against uh, Tulane or Navy. Well, apparently, struggling against those teams is worse than losing to Stanford, which is what Oregon did. And Oregon also, by the way, struggled against Cal, and they were losing against Fresno State late in the game. Again, I get Fresno State's a good team, but it just becomes very confusing. And I just get to this point of exasperation, like, what are we doing? It makes zero sense. And yet we keep going through it and it's Bill Hancock gets up there and says, we have a contract in place. I think we're going to get to that place where we find a sweet spot and we expand and we can kind of end some of this charade. But like, could you imagine I was just looking at the stats from last year of the NFL playoffs, like according to, you know, if you did power ratings last year, green Bay was probably one of the better teams in the country in the NFL. And, yet Tampa Bay went there beat them could you imagine if you like threw them all back in there and said well if they played again you know resumes and all this stuff well man did you see Tampa Bay they looked awful in that 138-3 loss like could you like it makes no sense that we do this and yet i guess it's the beautiful flaw of college football which all this is supposed to be great like it's good for us we get to debate it it's good for ESPN they create a show around it and there's a lot of discussion and who's in I guess it's fun, but I I worry much like Bud because I feel more of it, and maybe it's just because of the evolution of social media people have vo- voices that matter. But I feel I hear more and more fans being like, "It's just going to be Bama, and it's just going to be Ohio State, so who cares?" Like, just I guess we'll just tune in and watch those, and I think it's damaging to the game.
0: And I think that's part of the reason why there will be some hesitancy with expansion to have automatic qualifiers because as stupid as it is, the debate is awesome. It drives a lot of the interest. Mm -hmm. Like we've learned a lot these last few years in this country. And it turns out that getting people angry (laughs) is how you get their attention.
1: Well, like even for like, let's, I, I have believed That college football is a talking sport. We spend 12 months talking about a regular season that only has 12 games. And if we left everything up to analytics and made things easy to understand, then the conversations wouldn't go on for 12 months. And I, I think that the debates that rage go all the way back to shared national championships from the poll era. You know, try who who is your national champion from the two thousand what four season? Who is your mm-hmm. national championship from nineteen ninety? Like I, I think that that is the built-in, as you pointed out, Danny. I think that's the built-in beautiful flaw, and I think that as expanding the playoff um, might help with fans not checking out, and it might help with hope trafficking in trying to get more um literally more eyeballs involved and in thinking they can win a national championship. The idea that we're going to be arguing best versus most deserving is going to continue as long as we are playing this sport, just because we have so few data points and so many variables built into the structure of a 12-month calendar of college football.
2: Which is why I loved the 12 team proposal that was put forth because it had a little bit of both it had six you know highest ranking um, you know conference champions who get that automatic berth and then there's some debate about the rest so you kind of get a combination of all right you can win your way in but you can also impress with the eye test which i think it then it keeps the debate going on the back end it keeps the debate going on who should be one and two right because they were going to rank the top six and the top two seeds get by so there's still A lot of conversation and there's still a lot of controversy, but you don't screw over a lot of teams. That's what bothers me the most. Like I felt really bad for for UCF players in 2017. I feel bad for players at Cincinnati. Luke Fickle will be fine, right? He can get a raise, he can go somewhere else. He's already getting a boatload of money. There's a lot of players who play at Cincinnati who will never play in the NFL, don't transfer, but they believed. However, they, maybe they should have been listening to Cover Three because they could have listened to Tom and maybe been dealt the dose of reality. But I do think they believed. Man, we have Indiana Notre Dame on the road. If we beat them, we went out. We can make it. We can be this team, and they don't have a chance. Like that's the part in all of this that really like bothers me.
1: I do think a blend is my personal approach, and I don't look at deserving until we get a bigger sample size. Like I need to get four to five games in, maybe even all the way to the midseason, before I feel like I'm resumes doing much more other than splitting ties between teams that I think are better, which is a combination of eye test and power rating. So early in the season, I'm going to be favoring teams that I think who would win tomorrow. And later in the season, when I'm filling out ballots, it is much more about stacking up all of the wins and losses on a sheet of paper and then using that as a primary sorting tool. It's just tough because... The, the different opponents and the different schedules. Is your schedule backloaded? Is it front loaded? I, I think that that can be a little deceiving and lead to some pretty big swings uh, throughout your own ballot at the beginning of the season.
3: Also, uh, last thing on this uh, well, two things. Number one, if you'd like cover three and you want to advertise on cover three, maybe you have a national or regional audience, we now have an email you can hit up. Hit up show ads at 247sports.com. That's show ads at 247sports.com. Uh, and who better to advertise with us than maybe somebody who runs marketing for a company who actually listens to us. So yeah, that's, that's how you get in contact. If you're interested, we're going to do millions of downloads this football season and already have. So pretty excited about that. If we had had, I feel like you cannot unring the bell. Uh, I heard Tom on an episode the other day say like we should, we should contract or expand. And I don't think you can unring the bell and contract. I don't think contraction would be the worst thing, but like it's definitely not going to happen now. I wonder if we had had this type of 14 playoff system for a long time, even stretching back into the 80s. Is college football as popular now as it is? I think this, this current format actually could have driven some interest away uh, if we had had this back in like the 80s and 90s because of some of the interesting results that we had that maybe gave people the, the false but uh, lasting belief that their teams really had a shot.
1: I I mean, would that be like the Georgia Tech and Colorado winning? Georgia Tech, after- Colorado,
2: yeah. I mean BYU. Well, why Why is the NFL so popular? If they've always had a definitive playoff without any debate whatsoever, I think it's a lot of it's gambling related in fantasy football, which are part of the lexicon now in college football too, and always have been. Just the same. But every every team, okay. The difference is this, Danny. Every team in the NFL
3: has a reasonable basis for belief that their team could be good and actually win a title soon. Even if you're like a damn Jets fan and they don't ever win anything like under the structure of the sport with the salary cap and the roster limits and the draft, which rewards the worst teams, you know, it gets the first pick, you, you, you kind of have that continuing belief. It's not a, it's not a belief that should be false. If you're terrible forever, that's really just your own fault. It's not a resources issue for the most part in college. About 118 of the 130 teams should not have a true belief that they can win it all. For the good of the sport, we need that number to be more about like 100 of the 130, don't think so. I need those fans of like Baylor and TCU and Washington and uh, you know Wisconsin and all those teams that are never going to win another title to actually think that they could if they had that special year. And I don't like that the format right now kind of, Steps on them a little bit, like we we need that belief to stay alive.
2: But that that's is, my that's my question, though. Why? why oh, the NFL. Everybody debate, has equal
3: resources, and they earn their way into the playoff via via divisional format. With, no, I know, with, with but like bids. We, and we, but we, what we've
2: said, but what we've so, said on here is that the controversy has made the sport popular. Like that's my question: is why is the NFL so popular? It's never had controversy. Like every game is close, forward. deep
3: into the fourth quarter, right? Right. Like, so like a all of these games remain interesting. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um. And but that you would be happy to know that I think that that is one of the primary selling points of the people who are trying to push this expansion forward, uh, that they did a research. They said, okay, if we had had this system in all of these other playoff years, we would have had three times or four times the number of schools entering November or entering mid-November with a real shot to be able to make it. And that's what we want to do is we want to expand that number from 12 to like 30 or 40 fan bases that are sitting there in the last month of the season, the greatest month of the season. Like, November is where everything comes together. I mean, it's just a downhill sprint after you've been spending all this other time slowly building up to this point. Having, uh, increasing that number, doubling, maybe even tripling, I, I do think that would be healthy uh, for the sport in terms of eyeballs and uh, everything else that comes with it, including the dollars. For us, too. Yay. Um, All right. Next question. This one comes from Aaron. I started listening in the off season and I'm still loving the mid season shows, especially the locks though. I do wish they were actually locks. Just kidding. Mm. Uh, A group of five school getting a Heisman trophy winner is probably as likely as Cincinnati making the playoffs. But if you were to consider just group of five schools, who would be up for the Heisman? Ritter. I mean, yeah, for
2: starters, I have a I have a question. Yes, Hainer. BYU. Do we consider BYU yeah. five? Okay, yes. then I, I would recommend Tyler Algier, the running yeah. back, is pretty a Really good one. Tanner uh, Mordecai I, has been awesome.
3: Mm-hmm. Mordecai, Jake Hayner, Carson Strong. It's a very weird year in that uh, a lot of the better quarterbacks in the sport, not only from a numbers and production standpoint, but also from a talent standpoint, are are in the G five.
1: Okay. Um, any others that you would uh, that you would suggest out there? Does Tom just
3: hate the G five so much that he just quit the show?
2: <laughs> <I think> so,
3: <laughs> Or is internet probably been out. <laughs> okay. I'm probably missing somebody.
0: Tom, we thought you quit the show because G five because you were uh, just, just he said,
1: I'm out. <laughs> no,
0: you know what happened? I was on the tab and I was opening another tab, except I forgot to switch off the Streamyard
2: tab. <laughs> so I tabs I've done that. I that. I've done that. <laughs> it's
1: right. Uh, right.
2: No, would, uh, would it be Desmond Ritter? Would that be the winner? It probably would,
0: right? I think so. I mean, they're yeah. the team that's in, you know, what's, the, yeah. What's Western
1: game. Kentucky's record? Because that would be your Robert Griffin winner, would be I mean, uh, Bailey Zapp.
0: They're not great. I don't know it off the top of my head, but they're like four and three or four and four or
1: something like that. Yeah. They
0: could still win the league, but yeah. 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 They're think, four and four, in, but three and one in Conference USA.
1: It would it would just be uh we we would need to get like Jake Hayner and Carson Strong would be our G five Heisman showdown you know we always get the two quarterbacks going up against each other get to put like Deshaun and Lamar side by side oh what's gonna happen out here um, I wouldn't I wouldn't be opposed if there was a uh, a group of five trophy that we awarded to the most outstanding player but sure, I, I, I don't foresee it anytime in the near future.
3: Oh, last kid on this. Uh the uh Sky Moore for Western Michigan. Uh yeah. 58 receptions, seven or 63 yards, came back from injury.
0: Like his his October numbers were just absolutely insane. Ford at Cincinnati. I don't know if he was mentioned.
1: Jerome he's, Ford.
0: Yeah, he's got 14 touchdowns.
1: <laughs> he needs to score more of a man. Hey, style points are back. Cincinnati needs to stop messing around and being up fourteen twelve against Tulane and beating Navy by seven. We need Jerome Ford four touchdown performances the rest of the way so that we can start making this debate a little bit more interesting.
0: I mean, he wouldn't win because we know that freshmen never win the group of five Heisman. But Rasheen Ali at Marshall's got fifteen touchdowns.
1: Is that uh, is he the a running back or a wide receiver? Because I know Grant Wells. Right back. Okay. Brent Wells was high on my, just sort of mm-hmm. higher on my list, but I wouldn't think that he's closer to some of the names that have already been mentioned. All right. This next question uh, comes from a longtime listener, uh, NM War Eagle. It's participated in a lot, a lot of mailbags over the years. And NM War Eagle is back. Been here since day one. It's got me through many years commuting for work and road trips out West. You make us feel like we're part of the gang. Love that Auburn isn't a part of Saturday night discussions. Is that because Bud doesn't want to eat crow? No, Bud, <laughs> before you even answer, I can say that that is just how hectic it can be on Saturday night, especially with some of those 7 p.m. games. And at the very end of the show, credit to Tom Fornelli, because before the Fauna music was playing out, he said uh, shout-out to Auburn for a very good win against Ole Miss. So we did not get a chance to – Sing the praises of the Tigers within the context of a very good SEC win, but we also have the Tigers coming up in the SEC on CBS game of the week against Texas A&M this coming Saturday, which you can watch on Cbsports.com or through the CBS Sports app for free, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. So, Auburn... NM War Eagle, uh, you get your time right now. Uh, what did we think of the result? What did we think of the matchup coming up? And, and how do you judge this team that now we see, according to the College Football Playoff Selection Committee, is the 13th best team in the country?
3: Oh, well, uh, I will eat some crow. Auburn is better than I thought they would be. Um, now, to this point, okay, they blew out Akron, who is terrible, Alabama State. Uh, my numbers show they were really not competitive with Penn State, like on a down-to-down basis. And they like they were lucky to lose by only eight. They come back, they have kind of a shaky win, I, I think we would argue, over or Georgia State. Uh,
2: LSU. No that was shaky. Yeah. They I should mean, have lost. <laughs> LSU, We
3: we we bet on. I I bet on Auburn against LSU, called it out, said LSU was an absolute fraud, and if they had a, had a tough early schedule, Orgeron would have been out in September. Uh, and they they cashed that ticket for me. They were not competitive in any way against Georgia, which a lot of teams are not. Uh, they go on the road and they beat Arkansas. I bet him in that one felt really good about it. Uh, against Ole Miss, bet him as well. Really was kind of scared to do it because of all the, the, uh, suspension rumors early in the week. Uh, wish it, wish it would have gone heavier on that. Ole Miss is very banged up and I liked Auburn secondary and their ability to win one-on-one balls again and not just, you know, have the free runners against Ole Miss, which is kind of a team that is limping to the finish injury wise. They've done a nice job against their schedule. I do think a and will beat them this weekend. I think this is the first time they've played a, a good defensive line since Georgia. Their offensive line was not competitive against Georgia's off, or defensive line, and I think
0: AM will beat them up, up front. Yeah, that's, that's really it to me. Because if you look at Bo Nix's last two games, he's been phenomenal. He's completed 43 of 56 passes. He's averaging about 10 yards per attempt. He's got three touchdowns. He's got one interception. It's just the last two games have been against Arkansas. An old miss. If you look at his stats before those two games, he was great against Akron, was bad against Alabama State, although didn't really play a whole lot. But you mentioned this defense. When he played against Penn State, he was very not bad, but pretty mediocre. Against Georgia, he was mediocre. LSU, he was mediocre. Georgia State, he was bad, which just I don't know. And LSU's so, defense sucks too. Like like mm-hmm. we shouldn't lump LSU in with, with Georgia Penn State. And then their final three game or four games are against Texas AM. Good defense. Mississippi State, good defense. South Carolina, he'll put up numbers. Alabama, good defense. So I think that while they deserve credit for what they've done and Bo Nix is playing better, I'm still kind of a little more hesitant to be just completely jumping on board seeing what they've got left to play.
2: I love To be fair, uh, and Bud had a good idea last night because he tweeted out one of our uh, text threads He said that should be premium content for Cover 3 subscribers. I recall – at some point early in the season, Bud texts in the group chat and saying, guys, Auburn might be better than I thought, like might be good. And so I definitely give you credit for that. I think this game, I mean, clearly it's going to be hyped up CBS game of the week. But I think there's a ton we're about to find out because a since the Bama game, the schedule's been light against Missouri and South Carolina And, like, if you look at A&M before that game against Alabama, like, they were a a 19-and-a-half underdog for a reason at home. Like, I just wonder what version of Texas A&M we're going to get. Like, they've been a lot better, and they've gained a lot of confidence, but I still wonder if one of those clunkers is in there. The play I like in this game is probably the under. I'll give you a little early lean for the locks because I – like, do you trust Zach Calzada – Mm, He's been playing better. Do you trust Bo Nix on the road? Eh, like, I think this could be one of those SEC slug flasks where both of the defensive lines are eating the other team's lunch. You know what I'm hearing? What? This game, it's going to be a gut check Saturday.
1: Oh, gut check Saturday. (laughs) Listen, I I recorded a voiceover for a social video. I have no idea where it went. But if you see it, understand that I was – Laughing on the inside as I scripted. Zach Calzada has been playing some of his best football of the season against South Carolina and Missouri.
2: Who doesn't? (laughs) Who doesn't?
1: (laughs) You can only do like 60 or so seconds. So sometimes you got to get those like deep cut jokes, just like slide them on in there. Uh, But yeah, true. Zach Calzada has been playing some of his best football of the year against South Carolina and Missouri. (laughs) We'll see what happens on a a gut check Saturday game. That'll be decided at the line of scrimmage. Uh, All right, let's do one more real quick because I think we can uh, knock it out uh, fairly quickly. All right. Uh, This one is from DMS6391. Right, We'll just call them DMS. Love the show. Fun balance between the gambling stuff and actual analysis and insight. Mailbag question. So here's the situation. The offense is up one, late in a game they score a touchdown to go up seven should they consider going for two to make it a two possession game nine points in theory i like the idea but maybe it's not practical or the analytics disagree maybe it's something that works in a video game but not as well in reality any insight on this you are the team you're up one you score a touchdown you are now up seven with an extra point try do you go for the one or the two
0: Go for one. I, I understand the impact of making it a two-score game. But if you kick the extra point, you're up eight. So it's still a one-score game. But now your opponent has to not only score a touchdown, but to then convert the two-point conversion. And the numbers we've seen, it's I think it was 43% of two-point conversions in college the last few years have been successful. So... You're still asking an awful lot of your opponent with an eight-point lead. Obviously, yes. A nine-point lead, depending on how much time is left in the game, probably ends the game. So I understand the allure of going for it, but your odds of winning are still pretty good, and I think you have more to lose in that situation than you have to win. Yeah. um, I
3: think here you want to have variance on your side, and kicking the extra point is is a near certainty, even in college. Uh, There's no guarantee the opponent actually drives down – and scores a touchdown, right? So part of the analysis is you need to figure out what is the likelihood the opponent actually scores a touchdown uh, and what is the likelihood the opponent actually converts the two-point conversion. There is a scenario here where if you are hanging on to a lead and you are like a major underdog, if your internal calculations are that like it is extremely likely the opponent (laughs) goes down and scores a touchdown on you, like really, really likely, and your defense is that damn bad – Consider it, it may, strongly. You may need to consider going for two because the only way you get you get a stop is basically the, the clock and the number of possessions being on your side. Because I think Im- implied in the whole, they're definitely going to drive down and score a touchdown. If your defense sucks that bad, I think that their chance of getting an extra point is probably north of 50%. Right? It may mm-hmm. be more of like 70%-ish. And then you can begin to kind of think about your break-evens there. But in a relatively even game, you should take... The eight-point lead and force the opponent to not only score but also get the heads on the coin flip, just to tie you.
2: Danny, agreed. Agreed. I, I think if you polled every college football coach, 130 of them, 100% would say you kicked extra point. I don't know. Go up eight. The guys who
3: coach at like New Mexico State should be voting for the two-point conversion. But it, it's very much like depending unless on you're how playing good New Mexico. Well, <laughs> okay, that's fair. Yeah. Hey, momentum. Like Mesco State against Nevada, right? Carson Strong. But yeah, go for it. i I'm I'm probably going for it. I like I if I'm that big of an underdog, I want the, I need I need the variance to swing in my favor.
1: Also, the failed two point momentum's not real, but confidence is a failed two-point conversion that all of a sudden brings this, you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that all of a sudden brings the other sideline to life. It's like, oh, it's only seven. Let's go. You know, very, very different proposition mm-hmm. than thinking we have to go all the way down there and also convert on that two-point try.
0: Which has always been my argument against going for too early instead of late. In like, Because if you don't get it, yeah, mathematically, it increases your odds of winning. But spiritually and confidence-wise, if you fail to get it, yes, you know what you have to do, but your team is deflated because they just worked a whole lot to get those points, and now they're leaving with a sour feeling in their mouth.
1: Yeah, I 100% agree. And, and nothing makes me happier than saying, yeah, mathematically it works, but spiritually, I don't know, man. That's going to really take the soul away from a sideline. And I, I agree yeah. yeah, for sure. Uh, you, there were a couple little tidbits in here, but no outright picks because you have to come and get these locks if you want to get them. 11 a.m. on Thursday, we will be live at youtube.com slash cover3. Subscribers of the podcast, wherever you get your podcast, you'll be getting it probably around like, 1245 1 o'clock as soon as we get done taping and get it posted to the feed so make sure that you check in for that and with Saturday night you know we're trying to to hammer in like one set time but the the games are all over the place so how do you make sure that you're ready for uh, the instant reaction show subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com slash cover three smash that bell notification so that you can find out when we go live and you can come and join in on the fun You can follow him on Twitter at budelliot 3 You can follow him at Danny Connelly. You can follow him at Tom Pernelly. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much.
0: Thank you.